you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> I'm going to be looking at, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. If you grabbed a Bible from the back, that's going to be found on page 977. This is Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. Beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with which all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he also gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and right before we engage now with your word. We pray that your spirit would continue to rest upon us and dwell in us and be our instructor and teacher. Counsel us, Holy Spirit, and lead us into all truth. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts this morning be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And as Peter reminds us, help us to receive uh, the implanted word with meekness, which is able to save our souls. So in this moment, uh, we pray that it wouldn't be an ordinary moment, that it would be a, a holy moment and a moment in which you are working in us uh, by your word, giving life and strength and encouragement and instruction and direction, and above all, uh, lives transformed slowly but surely to the glory of your name and greater conformity to the image of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Okay, well, we're in week four 
of this uh, topical series on being devoted uh, to the local church. It's called Devotion or Devoted Characteristics of a Church-Centered Christian, and we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 is sort of the paradigm passage. We're jumping off a lot from there and going to different parts of the Bible to help unpack what we find in Acts chapter 2. But uh, we've already been on a couple of topics already. We looked at how God creates Christians and how he creates churches and how he brings Christians into contact with local churches. And uh, that was our first sermon. And uh, last week or two weeks ago, we considered the first thing that the early church devoted themselves to, which was the apostles' teaching. And we talked about that that's the bedrock of any Christian's life is what we find in the Bible and what God reveals to us about himself and about ourselves and the gospel and all that we know and believe and do is rooted in Scripture. And we talked about the importance of studying it and safeguarding it and sharing it with others. And then last week, we began this sort of mini-series within the series on fellowship. Because the second thing that Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says that the early church was committed to or devoted to was the fellowship. And that is a very rich word. And uh, it's going to take us a couple more weeks to get through uh, that word. Uh, but this week, we're going to consider a second aspect of fellowship. Last week, we began by talking about gathering and the importance of gathering together with the church to encourage one another for the sake of helping us persevere unto eternal salvation and that we can't do that unless we're together and that we're meeting together. And so this morning, we're going to talk about more about what fellowship entails and what is so central to it, which namely is helping each other grow. The purpose of our meeting together is yes, to glorify God, but secondarily, it's to help each other. There is a horizontal as well as a vertical component to all of our gathering together. Whether it's two Christians getting together, or a church getting together, or many churches getting together, there's a vertical purpose in that, namely to glorify God, but there's also a horizontal purpose, which is to encourage each other. So this morning, as we spoke about gathering last week, and the importance of doing so, namely to encourage one another. This sermon, this morning, I want us to really unpack what it means to encourage one another. If that's the purpose of the gathering horizontally, what does it mean? How do you do it? Why is it so important? Jerry Bridges, helpful writer, one from whom I have learned much, who has since gone on to be with the Lord a few years ago, um, wrote the following, connecting last week's sermon in Hebrews 10 to this week's sermon on growing. He says, the admonition in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, if you remember that was our text last week, is not fulfilled merely by attending church on Sunday morning. Rather, it is fulfilled only when we follow through with the instruction to encourage or spur on one another. This cannot be done sitting in pews, row upon row, listening to the pastor preach. That's what we're doing now. Can't, can't happen. It can only be done through the mutual interchange of admonitions or admonishments and encouragement. This is not to diminish the importance of the teaching ministry of our pastors. The Bible makes it quite clear that their ministry holds a vital place in our lives. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, 1 Timothy 3, 2, 1 Timothy 5, 17, 2 Timothy 4, 12, 4, 2. So lest I just think what I'm doing here is a complete waste of time, there's plenty of Bible underneath that to underscore the importance of pastors teaching and equipping the church. But, Bridges says, we need both the public teaching of our pastors 
and the mutual encouragement and admonition of one another, end quote. So it's not an either or, it's a, it's a both and. So the first aspect of fellowship, really fellowship properly defined, not just gathering, but what's so central to fellowship that we're going to consider this morning is helping each other to grow spiritually. You, me, as a baptized member of an ordinary church, are responsible for discipling other church members, and that is doing them intentional spiritual good so that others will become more like Christ. That's my point this morning. That we as a congregation, you as an individual Christian, are responsible for helping your fellow Christians to grow to maturity in Christ. And to do that this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the pattern for helping each other grow. Secondly, we're going to look at the passages about helping each other grow. I'm going to turn us to a few different passages in the New Testament to underscore that. And then third, the practice of helping each other grow. How do we do it? What does it look like? So the pattern for helping each other grow, the passages about helping each other grow, and the principles or the practice of helping each other grow. First of all, let's talk together this morning about the pattern for helping each other grow. First thing I want to remind you of is what Paul wrote to the Romans. In his very first chapter, writing to these Roman Christians in the church, he has this mindset that it's not just Paul coming to the church, imparting them everything they need to know, but just as crucial is the church's ministry to Paul and the church's ministry to each other. He writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He hasn't been there yet. He wants to get there. Why does he want to get there? Verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, yours and mine. That's what he's after. That's what we're after. A environment in which mutual encouragement, where we are imparting spiritual gifts to one another, namely encouragement to each other, so that we might be mutually encouraged and built up by each other's faith. That's so critical in the life of a church. And that's why Paul writes and is eager to get to Rome, so that he can encourage the Christians, the Christians can encourage him, and he can encourage the Christians to be encouraging other Christians. So we see that in the Apostle Paul's life, but he's not the ultimate pattern. He learned it from somebody. You know who he learned it from? Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't learn it personally from Jesus Christ. Paul was made an apostle after the resurrection of Christ, right? But he learned it from the Spirit who taught him to walk in the ways of Christ among the Christians as he learned and walked with them. And so Jesus is the ultimate pattern that we look to to learn how to help each other grow. I mean, if it's not seen in the life of Jesus and he's not doing it, we ought not to do it either because we're called to follow him. So let's look at this pattern briefly in the life of Jesus Christ and how he invested and cared for people in helping 
then grow. The all-important text here and the foundational text that I want us to turn to is Matthew chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible on your phone or in your lap, uh, go to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 19. This is the pattern that Jesus gives us as his disciples. Of course, he initially gave it to these initial disciples here, namely Simon and Andrew. But it continues, as we'll see in a few other, in a few minutes, on to us as well. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And he said to them, Simon and Andrew, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So obviously he's speaking to these first disciples who were fishermen, and he takes that analogy and applies it in a spiritual realm. You're not just going to fish for fish, you're going to fish for men. So he's got this practice he wants them to do. He wants them to come and follow him. And then he's got a process that he's going to develop in them. He's going to make them something. And namely, that product is fishers of men. Now, what I want you to appreciate from that is this. Coming to Jesus necessarily turns you outward. Okay? Coming to Jesus necessarily, if you're going to follow him, you're going to be concerned about other people. Is that simple enough from that passage? I mean, you just see it over and over again. If we're going to follow Jesus, we are going to have to live an outward, other-oriented life. Can't follow Jesus in isolation. Can't follow Jesus uh, just me and him. You, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be concerned about the spiritual well-being of other people, whether they're lost or saved. Okay, You're going to be concerned about people either knowing Jesus or growing in Jesus. And of course, I mean, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. What do you think you find at the end of Jesus' ministry? He's singing the same song. Matthew 28, turn with me. You know it, but I want to I bend this nail over because I want you to see that it's the bookends of Christ's ministry. And what a person says at the beginning of their ministry and the end of their ministry is really, really important. I would argue that the first sermon a pastor preaches and the last sermon a pastor preaches are probably the most important things they're going to say. I mean, they're the bookends of their life, so to speak. And Jesus is doing that here in Matthew 28. He's given us the second bookend. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. So there it is again. It's almost like he could have just said, Oh, remember what I said in Matthew 4? Or no, he hasn't said Matthew 4 because Matthew 4 didn't exist. You know what I mean. But remember what I said back at the beginning, Simon, Andrew? Remember what I said? Come follow me. But let me say it a little bit differently. Go make disciples and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, which includes the command to go and make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. So basic Christianity then, according to Jesus, at the beginning and the end of his ministry, involves reaching non-Christians and building up believers. Now, Paul told us this, not only in Romans chapter 1 that we looked at a few moments ago, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I believe this will be on the screen behind me, so you don't have to turn there. But this is such a pivotal, helpful passage. You know when you hear um, a, a very popular verse among Christians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, finish it. Whatever you do, do all. Yeah, we all know that verse. So whether you eat or drink, what, what, have you ever thought about what the context is of that verse? 
The context is what I'm talking about this morning. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to reach non-Christians and build up other Christians. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, here's what the doing all to the glory of God looks like. Verse 32. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is a powerful passage about an other-oriented life. You want to live a life that glorifies God? You want to live a life that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God? Get rid of your desires to be pleased and liked and affirmed, but rather seek to please everyone else in what you do, seeking the advantage of them that they may come to Christ or be built up in Christ. Because that's what it means to eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And just so, he, just so he's clear, in 11.1 he says, be imitators of me, but make no mistake, this isn't my idea. This is Christ's idea. Be imitators of me because I'm imitating who? I'm imitating Christ. I mean, who laid aside his privileges more than Jesus to seek our well-being? Who, who said, I do not, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but the advantage of many that they may be saved. Who did that? Jesus did that. That's why we're here this morning. Because he didn't care about his own advantage. He wasn't seeking to please himself. He was seeking to bless others. He was seeking to raise up an army, a family, a universe, at least a world, full of children of God who would be reconciled to God through his work. So that that other orientation, that desire to glorify God, is rooted in the very nature of Christ himself. And one final text, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. John, Jesus' closest friend on earth, uh, bends this nail over when he says, whoever says he abides in him, in other words, whoever says he's a Christian, ought to walk in the same way as he walked. Is that just talking about morally? No. It's talking about being concerned and prioritizing the same things that Jesus prioritized. So my point is, is if we aren't helping people follow Jesus, you aren't helping people follow Jesus. I'm not quite sure what you mean by following Jesus. You can't follow Jesus without helping other people follow Jesus. It's what it means to follow Jesus. Does everybody get that? We all together? Big corporate amen? We all in this together? Okay, this is coach. Wow, a little coach this morning trying to pep us up, taking us back to the playbook. Like Vince Lombardi, gentlemen, this is a football it's what, I, it's what I'm trying to do this morning. Say, look, this is what it is. This is what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus. we got to be concerned about people following Jesus, not just us following Jesus. Because what it means for us to follow Jesus is to help other people follow Jesus. The essence of following Jesus, I would argue, is helping other people follow Jesus. So here's the point. Following Christ ourselves results in him turning us outward 
in spiritual concern for each other. If our lives are not preoccupied with such concern, we aren't following Christ. It is impossible because following Christ puts us on the track of helping others follow Christ. Let me give us a couple of quotes here to help us with this idea. One of my favorite writers as well as a favorite of of several of you in this room is John Murray, older Princeton theologian from the last century, great, simple, reformed writer, had a great impact on my life through a number of his books. He, he, He got this idea. Let me give you his quote. He says, in reality, the growth of the individual does not take place except in the fellowship of the church. If the individual is indifferent to the sanctification of others, that's just his way of saying if the person is claiming to follow Jesus and not helping other people follow Jesus, that's his flowery Princeton reformed language. If the individual is indifferent to the sanctification of others and does not seek to promote their growth in grace, love, faith, knowledge, obedience, and holiness, this interferes with his own sanctification in at least two respects. So he says... If he's not helping other people follow Jesus, this is going to inhibit his following of Jesus in at least two ways. Here's the first one. His lack of concern for others is itself a vice that gnaws at the root of spiritual growth. If we are not concerned with the fruit of the Spirit in others, it is because we do not burn with holy zeal for the honor of Christ himself. Number two, this indifference to the interests of others means the absence of ministry which should have been afforded to others. This absence results in the impoverishment of these others to the extent of his failure, and this impoverishment reacts upon himself because these others are not able to minister to him to the full extent of the support, encouragement, instruction, edification, exhortation which they owe him. Now, I know that's a long sentence. Let me give you his point, but it's great. He's making a great point. The point is, is when we are not investing and helping other people grow spiritually, we are impoverishing ourselves because we're limiting the people that can pour into us and help us. Okay, so it is a selfish pursuit, right? This is, this is what Piper talks about in Christian hedonism. This is the, the best of all possible worlds, where you pursue your own encouragement by building others up to the point that they are so full of encouragement that when you need it, it's there. Okay, so it's, 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 it's getting yourself ready for the seasons in which you will need encouragement and spiritual strength as well. So you begin investing. You, you spiritually help others. You encourage others. And through that, you are serving yourself in the long run. And it's not a wrong thing. <laughs> it's a glorious thing. It's like the husband who is loving his wife as Christ loved the church and finds her respecting him and loving him and kissing him and wanting to be with him. Is that wrong? Oh, honey, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm just trying to love you as Christ. No no return needed. No, he's doing it, of course, because he loves Christ, but he's also reaping the blessing and the benefit that comes from loving his wife as Christ loved the church. So our relationships, the point is, our relationships in the church deeply matter. And And here's the sobering realization. We don't get the choice of being neutral in our influence. By being unengaged, we are negatively affecting the body of Christ. We are impoverishing her. But by being positively engaged, by seeking the spiritual benefit of others, by seeking to encourage and build other believers up in the body of Christ, 
we are positively encouraging and building up the body. See, it, we don't get to live neutral. To do nothing is to go back. All you got to do to atrophy and decay is just sit around and do nothing. Right? As John Maxwell said, famous leadership guy, everything worthwhile is uphill. Okay? Everything worthwhile is uphill. And I believe that. He got that from the scriptures. Because everything, I mean, we're either rowing actively, intentionally, as soon as we lift those oars out of the water, and the current's just going to take us back. So we got to intentionally put those oars in the water and keep rowing. Because to lift them out is to be at the mercy of the current. And, we, you know, we can't do that. There, we live in a fallen world. we got spiritual opposition. we got real enemies against us. No time for coasting. You can coast in glory. Until then, roll up your sleeves. we got work to do. Okay, so um, our indifference, then, has an effect, as does our proactive investment. And we need to view each other this way. See, what we, we don't need to just view each other as we're all fellow Christians. God's going to keep us. You know, we're all going to make it to heaven. You know the means by which God says that he will keep us is this, what I'm talking about this morning. We can't assume that. We can't assume that, oh, yes, yes, do, like I said last week, I absolutely believe in the perseverance of the saints. I absolutely believe all of us are going to make it to glory who are tr truly in Christ. But the way that that will happen is God is going to bring people around us in the church, which is why we need each other, to continually encourage us and stir us up to love and good deeds. Because if not, we're going to get dull and dry. And as I said last week, Matthew 24 will be fulfilled because lawlessness will increase. The love of many will grow cold. And we're trying to keep that from happening. So we need to view each other from an eternal perspective that, that won't it be great? Think about this with me. Oh, the stories we can tell each other in a thousand years. When we look each other in the face on the new heavens and the new earth and we can reminisce and say, thank you. Thank you for being by my bedside. Thank you for that phone call. Thanks for that encouraging text. Thanks for sharing with me what you were learning from the scriptures. Thank you for that just checking in. How you doing? Been praying for you. Thank you for all of that. Because you were got one of God's means of keeping me to get me here. I mean, oh, the stories. Let's, let's fill up the books, church, so that we have tons and tons of stories rather than going and it's like, I know this won't happen in glory, thankfully, because we'll be rid of sin. But while you're like, oh, man, there's that guy. He was in the church. I never talked to him. He's here. Oh, it's kind of awkward. You know, we don't want to be there. Obviously, it won't be awkward. We'll be, we'll be great. But the point is, is we want to have lots of, lots of war stories to share. And this will help us if we have an eternal perspective. And I think C.S. Lewis helps us here um, in giving this, this internal perspective. Think about this about each other this morning. This is true of all of us in the body of Christ. C.S. Lewis says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. Now, just to be clear, C.S. Lewis does not believe that we're going to become little gods and goddesses. Okay, we're not going to be deified in glory. We're not going to become little gods. We're not gonna, but his point is we are eternal beings. Okay? We will live one place somewhere. And the people that we interact with now are citizens of an eternity. Either in heaven or hell. So he goes on and says, All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities 
It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, the Lord's Supper, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Think about we thought about that that way. We thought about the people that are in my life, the people that are in our church, the people that are in my workplace, in my family. These are eternal people. And it is, as he says, all day long we are in some degree helping each other toward one of two destinations. And his point is, let's help ourselves. Let's make sure that we recognize the stakes of what we're engaging in here. We must do what we can to help each other and push each other toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's, that's point number one. That's the pattern. Okay, I just wanted to underscore the importance from what we see in the life of Jesus and what we see in the life of Paul, this concern, this other orientation that is to occupy ourselves as God's people. Now let's turn to a couple other passages, point number two here in the sermon. The passage is about helping each other grow. I want to look at three of them very briefly. I don't think I'm going to spend more than uh, three or four minutes on each one, so we'll leave a a good amount of time for application at the end. So the first one I want us to turn to is the one that Justin read for us, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. He read verses 1 through 16 to give us the broader context, but I'm just going to uh, pull out a couple of verses at the end of that reading. And I know this is not new to many of you. We've preached this text and talked about this text a number of times over the years. I know Pastor Ted has. I know Pastor Jonathan did a lot while he was here. So this is a, shouldn't be a new concept, but I, I just want to maybe sometimes putting it in a different context and explaining it uh, in a different way uh, can help it click even more. So that's my hope. So look here at chapter 4 of Ephesians, and we're just going to focus on a few verses between verses 11 through 16, so the second half of the, of the passage. Now, it says here in verse 11 that Jesus gave gifts. Well, he, he talks about gifts beginning at verse 7, but specifically the gift that he's giving is leadership to the church in the form of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And the purpose of that leadership, according to verse 12, is to equip the saints. That's all of us. That's the, the people of God. For the work of ministry, so that's the goal, and here's the ultimate purpose, for the building up of the body of Christ. So that's the view of the church. Leadership equipping people to build up the body of Christ through the exercise of ministry. Okay, and here's, here's, the, here's the vision, verse 13, until we get to heaven, okay, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So to a maturity that fits us for heaven. And then verse 14, and here's the negative side. So we're to bring each other to maturity. We're to minister to each other, to build each other up toward maturity. So that, verse 14, we're not like children. We want, to grow everybody, we, want, we want everybody in the church to grow up into a full adult spiritually. Everybody's mature. Not everybody's, you know, some people are mature and other people are still babies. And we don't want that. We want a fully mature church so that they won't be children tossed to and fro by the waves. This is a picture of what it's like to be a child. You're just carried along by life, carried along by false teaching, carried along by susceptibility to error and any sort of influence whatsoever. That's a mark of immaturity. 
but rather we want to be marked, verse 13, by a maturity that's stable and not rocked and that's firm. Okay, so how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? How are we going to grow up from children into adulthood? Hearing more sermons, right? Or reading another book or listening to another podcast or living a longer life. You know, we'll just learn life as we go. You know, let us live a little bit longer. That, that wasn't a bad idea. Don't do that. Don't just live. Okay, so how does he say? Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, which is what, which what, I'm, what I, one voice now is trying to do, but your voice being added to it in different ways as well. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, you get this? He's making it radically ordinary and radically church-oriented. He says in verse 16, whole body, every joint, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know who grows the body? We grow the body. All of us grow the body. No one person. And we can't cop out and say God does it. He does do it, right? God builds his church. But how does he do it? He builds his church through causing his church to build itself. Okay? That's how God builds his church. Builds his church by causing his church to build itself. And how does it build itself? Teachers, leaders, equipping the people to minister. What does it mean to minister in the context? Speaking to one another. A ministry of words is what builds up the body of Christ. It's not the only thing. Lots of other ministry that's essential to the body of Christ as well. But in this context, it's the ministry of speaking to one another the truth in love. Not just talking about being honest with each other. talking about the gospel, the word of God, putting it on our lips, sharing it with each other. And as a result of that, we grow up. We become mature. The body builds itself up in love. So we need the whole church to help the church grow. Every single church member is called to help the whole church grow to maturity in Christ. The church builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we all have work to do in building the church. So I want to I show you this little diagram. This is a helpful diagram, I think. Okay, it's not original to me. Mark Dever came up with this, but it's helpful, and I'll steal it from him. Okay, so this is a vision of the church, okay, and how the church functions together, the various responsibilities of the church to itself. You see there's three groups. There's elders, there's congregation, and there's you. Now, deacons, we love you too, okay? We appreciate you. You're vital. That's just not part of this list, but you're an essential component too. This is not everything that the Bible says about the church. This is just one, one paradigm. Okay, so you notice you got arrows going to diff both, both, both ways to every group. So there's, there's responsibility, and those arrows are communicating responsibilities. Okay, so let's take them category by category. What are the elders' responsibilities? Your five elders. Well, your elders' responsibilities to the congregation as a whole is to equip it. We are we're trying to equip the church with the word of God to carry out the responsibilities, which is why this series exists, which is why we're talking about what we're talking about this morning. And then 
what's the elder's responsibility to you is oversight. Okay? Now, second category, congregation. What's the responsibility of the congregation to the elders? Well, first of all, it recognizes the elders because the congregation is the one who elects the, the leadership and, and recognizes who the elders are in the church who should be leading the church. But also they give support uh, in the form of finances, but also just to some of the elders, but also in, in, in terms of supporting their ministry and, the, and the, the work they're trying to do in equipping the church. And then uh, the, congreg the congregation also, the whole congregation has a responsibility to you, the individual disciple, namely to love and encourage and to be accountable to them. Now, you notice the third category, the you. Who, what are you as an individual Christian responsibili responsibility to your elders? Well, in as much as we are leading you to follow the scriptures, it's obedience. But then also the, the you to the congregation is the love and encouragement and accountability of the congregation. So my point is, this sermon is just about that bottom line, okay? It's about the congregation's responsibility to you as an individual Christian, your responsibility to the congregation, which you notice back and forth. Mutual love, mutual encouragement, mutual accountability. That's the New Testament vision of the life of the congregation, and that's what I'm talking about this morning. So let's, let's look at a, another text um, Thanks, AV team, for, for getting that on the screen for me. Let's look at uh, Colossians chapter 1. A couple more texts here to, to bend over this uh, idea of, of, of mutual love and encouragement to help each other grow and build each other up. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We preached through Colossians just a little while ago, but I want to refer back to it. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. This is Paul's description of his ministry. Paul says, him, talking about Jesus, him, we proclaim, warning everyone. There's the negative side of his ministry, the warning aspect, the admonition. And teaching everyone, there's the positive aspect, warning everyone, teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's good news. That's going to be our benediction today, okay? So I know things like this when we talk about responsibilities and devotion. I've been, very, I've, been, I've been praying that the Lord would not let this feel, let these feel like encouraging responsibilities and not laborious ones. Because I know that when we start preaching on, you know, our responsibilities and our calling, and it, it can almost seem like, well, Pastor Mark's just stopped preaching the gospel. He's not reminding us of the gospel anymore. But I want to remind you of the gospel this morning. Look at verse 29. Look where your power to do this comes from. You have God in you. For this I toil. Yes, it's hard work, Paul says. I have to work hard at it. It's hard bringing people to maturity in Christ. It's hard warning people. It's hard teaching people. It's hard proclaiming Jesus. But listen, I struggle with all his energy, which he powerfully works within me. Don't you want to be an object of God's powerful influence? Do you want God to show up in your life and you to feel his presence? Do this. Don't go throwing, you know, go up to a mountaintop and throw rocks at the sky and saying, God, why don't you fill me with your power? And he'd say, because you're not loving anybody. Get off the mountain. Now, should we go to the mountain and we need to spend time with Jesus? You better believe it. Take time to be holy. Without, as Picasso said, without 
great solitude, there is no great influence. Jesus got away, got away, got away. The more you do this, the more you're going to need to be alone with God because you will run out of strength. You will be depleted, and that's a good depletion, and it causes you to run to God. God, if you don't fill me, if you don't strengthen me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throat punch him in Jesus' name. <laughs> They're going to get the Lord's backhand. I'm just kidding. Don't do that, okay? Just a little humor. Okay, but you know, you know, like just the, that's an extreme example. Hopefully we don't have anything about it. But just, Lord, it's hard. It's hard. I want to love them well. I want to care for them well. I want to serve them well. It, it's just hard. It's hard. I don't know how to fix it. And you're not called to fix it. You're not called to fix it. You're called to love them. So, anyway, this is Paul's ministry, right? He's, he's, he proclaims, he warns, he teaches, laboring to present everyone mature in Christ. That's Paul's ministry, though, right? It's not ours. No, it is ours. I mean, that's, look at Colossians 3, verse 15. This is now he's turning it to the church. Colossians 3, verse 16. Sorry, 16, not 15. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, why does he say to do that? Remember in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth and love? The only thing we got valuable to offer each other is God's truth. I don't need any of your all's wisdom, and you don't need any of mine. I don't need your how-tos. I don't need your uh, good tips. You know what we need from each other? God's word. We need God's word from each other's mouths. That's the only thing that's going to be helpful. So God's word from each other. Now, that's why he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, because we've got to have the word deep in us. We gotta, that's why we've got to be devoted to the apostles' teaching before we can be devoted to the fellowship, because we can't do what we're supposed to be doing with the fellowship, helping each other grow, if we're not growing and knowing the, go- knowing the gospel and the word of God. So that's why he starts devoted to the apostles' teaching in Acts 2. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked, but I'm trying to tie it all together here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Those are the same two words that Paul used to describe his whole ministry in, a, in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He said he proclaimed Jesus, teaching and admonishing everyone so that they might be presented or uh, mature in Christ, unless we think Paul was just talking about himself, he's writing to the Colossian church, and he says, in the context of the church, where psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are being sung, there needs to be teaching and admonishment of one another. So this requires a willingness to encourage, share our trials, carry our burdens together, Share our disappointment, struggles, blessings, joys. Do life together in such a way that we can help each other to be reminded of the gospel and the promises of God. All right, one more. One more. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. Love this verse. It's a good one. Paul writes to the church, he's getting ready to wrap up his letter here, and he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Why does he say that? You know, nothing brings greater joy to a godly leader's heart than that reality. Nothing. That's why he says, I am so satisfied with you, Romans. 
This is what I'm trying to do in Colossians, in Colossae. They're a little behind. This is what I'm trying to do in other places, but you are doing it. I'm satisfied with you. Why? You're full of goodness. That is, you have Christ-like character. You love. And you're filled with knowledge. You know the Bible. So you not only love Jesus, but you love others, and you can share the scriptures. My job is done. That's what he says. You're able to instruct one another. That's his goal. So character and content qualifies us to instruct one another. And I would say, brothers and sisters, you have it. The devil would love to come around and say, well, you don't, you know, you're just an ordinary Christian. You don't have anything to offer ordinary Christians. Yes, you do. We're all ordinary. We have anything special. You can offer the life that you have with God with others. You can share with them something of what he's taught you. You can share with him something of his word that's precious to you, that helps you. And you all have done this. Many of you who have been it for decades, which is why God has built a church here, because you have done this. You have cared for one another. You've encouraged one another. You've instructed one another. And again, I just call you to do it all the more and recognize that's how God's going to build his people in his church. All right, done with that. Let's spend the last five minutes talking about practical application. And uh, we're going to mine some of these out in coming weeks. So point number three, the practice of helping each other. And you're going to find nothing profound here. All right? Because if it's profound, if it's on the top shelf, most of us can't get to it. But if this is ordinary Bible stuff, it, it might just be encouraging. It's like, oh, okay, I can do that. I am doing that. Great. All right, here's what we're not after. We're not after programs. You can't program this. Okay? You have to create a culture where people care about each other and are involved in each other's lives. So what we're after is creating culture, not creating programs. Okay, so let me give you a few, a few cultural things. Involve yourself in your community group. This is front line. Share what you're learning from Scripture with the people in it. Ask, what has God been teaching you lately? Write the most important, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Do you spend time with God on a daily basis? Do you spend time with God on a daily basis? I hope so. Most days, I hope so. Hope you're pursuing the Lord. Okay, when you're spending time with God, the things that, that I want to challenge you to do this, the things that are, God is using in your life to encourage you, would you send those to other people? Text it, uh, say it, um, just do something with it other than just being encouraged yourself. Or write it down to share with other Christians when you're together with them. So you can just pull it out. Hey, I want to share with you briefly what I've been um, reading from God's word lately. Just write down the most important truths and takeaways from your time with God and then text it or share it with your fellow uh, church members. Post it on Facebook. Share it at dinner with your family. Just share it. Share it. Um, Number two. Be a biblical family. Be a biblical family. If you've got young, I know we have many empty nesters. They've ran the race. They've completed the faith. They've kept the faith. They've finished the race. And they have much to teach us who are still in it with parenting younger kids. And singles do as well in helping us uh, 
healthy families that we ought to be. So be a biblical family. That is, do this with your kids. Disciple your kids. Teach them to read the scriptures. Catechize them. Pray with them. Uh, bring them out with ministry. When you're doing uh, caring for somebody, bring them along with you. Uh, model a godly life for them. Listen, God ordained the family to do this, to do what we're talking about this morning. It's the front lines. Church is supplemental in that regard. I don't expect Heritage Baptist Church or Heritage Christian School to do the heavy spiritual lifting in the lives of my children. I expect them to be supplemental and helpful. That's absolutely critical. We can't do it by ourselves. Family alone is not going to get it done. But God ordained the family. So be a biblical family. Disciple your children. Let the first impulse you have to other orientation as you follow Jesus be the kids that God has entrusted to you. And not just farming them out to whoever is more spiritual than you are that, to take them over. That won't work. That's not the way God set it up. Now, does he mercifully save in some of those situations? Yes, absolutely. But his ordained uh, purpose is the family to do this. Thirdly, involve yourself in men's and women's ministry. Just get together when the men are getting together. Get together when the women are getting together. I remind you of the uh, verse I put at the beginning of this whole series, Galatians 6.10, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all. So if you have opportunity to be involved in a men's gathering or a women's gathering, do that. Because this is where this stuff is happening. It is happening there. It's where Titus chapter 2 is being lived out practically as the body is instructing the body together. Here's a fourth or fifth one. Fourth one. Uh, read something together with another brother or sister in the church and text encouragements to each other. You ever thought about it? You know, read a small book together. Read some articles together. Uh, read some a passage of scripture together. Read a book of the Bible together. And every day, send each other a one-sentence text of what you were impacted by and what you're praying for them. Uh, what about number five? Um, greet people in the church. Say hi to each other. Boy, that's a profound application. Do you know how many times in the Bible it tells us to greet one another? Like, it's a command. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Peter 5, 14, Romans 16, 6. Those are just a small slice of, but just greeting people, saying hi, what's your name? Um, remind me of who you are again, I'm sorry. Or just say, saying hey to, hey to each other. So after this service, look for people you don't know and say hi to them and greet them and say hello and that you're glad they're here and you hope to get to know them. And then make a plan to do so. Like number, the next one, I've lost track of what number I'm on. One, two, three, four, five, I think it's a six. Um, have people over or have people in your life. Practice hospitality. First Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, uh, practice hospitality without grumbling. Do you know why he has to have without grumbling? Because we do. Uh, I don't want to do it. i got to clean the house again. Or i got to, oh, do I have to? Oh, man. No, that, that's not the way. Practice hospitality. Open your life up to other people without grumbling about it. Um, pray through the membership directory. We gave you that to cultivate what I'm talking about this morning. If you're praying for people, if you're praying for people, four people a day, once a month, 
and you start contacting people you're praying for, this, this church will be a healthier church. Pray for each other. Use that directory, please. Please use it. Not so that we can, you know, achieve some sort of prayer milestone we're after or whatever. We just want to do things that the Bible tells us will build the body up. Also, cultivate the discipline, and it is a discipline. It's hard to do sometimes. Cultivate the discipline of having spiritually intentional conversations. And it's a lot easier than you think. You don't have to say, um, you know, get out the King James uh, English and, 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 and start using words like vouchsafe and, and all that stuff. You don't have to do that. You can, you can, you can just say, hey, uh, what's God been teaching you lately? Hey, I'm just curious what you've been reading in the Bible. Um, hey, would you get out of that service? Hey, would you get out of the sermon? Hey, it, it can be much more natural than we, than we sometimes build it up in our minds as. So let me conclude. Worship team, please come forward. I'm going to conclude with this. Um, why, why, why do we do all this? Why? Why are we trying to uh, encourage one another and speak truth to one another and involve ourselves in each other's lives and greet each other and practice hospitality and pray for one another and being spiritually intentional with one another? Why do we do all that? Because we are committed, as I reminded us last week, of making it to heaven. We want and we know that heaven awaits the growing Christian. Heaven awaits the growing Christian. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue holiness and the peace without which no one will see the Lord. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. We are after holiness. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, everyone who has the hope of seeing Christ purifies himself just as Christ is pure. So we are all becoming now what we will be forever. And so we labor side by side to present each other mature in Christ when we get there. And we do it because we know the end of the story. On that day, brothers and sisters, Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Cancer will be a distant memory. Disabilities will be done away with. Sin will be removed. Fears will be erased. Persecution will finish. Sadness will be quenched. Violence squashed. The evil one defeated, hell conquered, heaven purchased, and we will be with all believers from all times gathered around the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will be in the presence of our Savior, seeing his face fully glorified and confirmed in his everlasting righteousness. And my appeal is let's help each other get there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to be in your word. Thank you for the privilege of having a Bible, of having a revelation from yourself where you teach us about you and your ways. Help us to help each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.
announcements before the benediction. Let me give them to you. Um, first of all, uh, tomorrow night, the REACH Women's Study continues 6.30 at Kim Withrow's home. There's also a women's retreat coming up, ladies. Um, I'm sure you've seen, many of you have seen the email. It's March 16th and 17th at Rough River. The speaker will be Patty Withers. You will not want to miss her. She spoke at Glenn, uh, Lynn Blakeman Shreve's funeral as a testament. She, she mentored um, our sister before she went to went to be with the Lord, and she and her husband are on staff over at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Louisville, a good friend, uh, sister church of ours, um, and she has a pretty powerful testimony and, a, and a, a real gift for teaching, so I think you will be encouraged uh, by her ministry there. March 16th and 17th, put it on your calendars. It's 30 bucks. Uh, we'll have a table in the lobby for signups and payments right after the service. You can go ahead and sign up for that. The deadline uh, for the sake of preparation is March 4th, and so please get that in um, this Sunday or next Sunday. Wednesday midweek this week, uh, lasagna is going to be the midweek meal. We'll also have Heritage Kids and the prayer meeting. Nursery will also be available next Saturday. Brothers, um, we have a church bonfire. A men's ministry is putting it on. It's for the family, not just for guys. So bring your, bring your kids out. Um, it's 5 to 8 p.m. next Saturday, March 3rd. Hot dogs, chips, and s'mores will be provided, but uh, men's ministry uh, chairman Jason Houston tells me you got to bring your own drinks unless you want some water so bring some, if you want if you want water that's good but if you want something else bring it with you um, clean up trash around you please um, any you guys did great that last week thank you for caring for our setup team and and serving them and that way please continue to do that and also um, we've been hosting a, a, an emergency Red Cross shelter here for the flood um, and we have some fruit, so it's out there in the lobby. It's not going to be used, and it's it's good. So it's going to go bad if we don't take it. So please take it if you could, if you want some fruit, take it with you as you leave the building today. So let me leave you with this encouragement. Remember Colossians chapter one verse twenty nine that as we do this, God's power is powerfully working within us to accomplish His will. So go equip. Not